Hello and welcome to Health Query. This is a podcast where we cover the full spectrum of well-being, and we do this through conversations with everyone from doctors to dominatrixes. We delve into the many realms of mental, physical, sexual, emotional, and spiritual health. My name is Allison Schulte, and I have been integrating body, mind, sex, and spirit for over 25 years in medical, academic, nonprofit, kink, and community spaces. I am a sex witch, and I am the CEO for Pelvic Sanctuary, which is a Los Angeles-based nonprofit dedicated to pelvic health education, and we focus on the needs of LGBTQIA populations through virtual and in-person workshops, classes, and training programs. You can learn more about Pelvic Sanctuary or support our work, maybe through a tax-deductible donation, by visiting pelvicsanctuary.org. Today, I'm interviewing Kevin Cassier. We met at the Tama Finland Foundation for a gay wellness event that I helped produce, and I was there with Pelvic Sanctuary doing a workshop called Gainal Sex, Just the Tips, and he was there as a gay life coach with his little station set up and doing life coach sessions. And I got to chat with him a bit. He's super magnetic and cheerful and just a joy to be around. And then I started following his Instagram and just got super, super into it and just had to interview him. So Kevin and I dive into some of the recurring themes that he sees in his counseling sessions, such as sex and substance use. Kevin unveils the most common substances that his clients grapple with and presents some incredibly insightful hands-on advice for reshaping healthy relationships with substances and initiating the journey towards addressing dependencies. We also delve into the potential issues pornography can engender and how it can sometimes hinder individuals from authentically and openly expressing their sexuality. Our conversation takes an unconventional turn as we discuss an alternative approach to pornography. This novel perspective advocates for the redirection and channeling of sexual energy towards nurturing health, wellness, and fostering growth in other facets of life. And you may leave this episode wanting to masturbate to yourself. So brace yourself for a provocative and intriguing discussion that might even provoke you to explore the concept of self-pleasure from a very different angle. And for a lighter note, don't miss my endearing confession about harboring an unexpected attraction towards animated mice that I forgot I said on a podcast, but I promise to be out about everything here. So remain with us to the end for that. Anyways, here we go with Kevin Cassier. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your journey and becoming a life coach and how you introducing yourself to start? Yeah, so I'm Kevin Cassier and I'm a gay life coach. I'm in the Los Angeles area. To start, I you know, had a few jobs before. I had a sales job a while ago. I used to be a third grade teacher. And all of these things, you know, I didn't really enjoy. I always wanted to be a therapist. And so I was like, okay, therapy, you know, going to like six more years of school. 
I don't know if I want to do that. And also I'm a lot more focused on like moving forward and taking action because I'm sure you and I both know people and everyone probably knows someone who has been to therapy for five or so years, but they still blame their mom for everything that goes wrong in their life. So what I like about life coaching is it's a lot more focused on accountability and understanding things have happened to you in life, but we can't erase that. We have to put it on our armor and move forward with it. So yeah, I mean, that's just how I got into it. I started researching it a lot more, started putting myself out there on social media and focusing specifically on queer issues, especially with gay men. For example, things like, you know, comparing ourselves, shame, partying, um, you know, sexual topics as well. Just all the stuff that affects a lot of people, but affects queer people a little more. Yeah, I agree with you that life coaching is so different from therapy. And I have to admit, the first time I heard about it, I remember just thinking it was just this ridiculous LA American thing we're doing now. And I had the opportunity to work with a life coach that I met through a pelvic health platform. It's a, it was a Facebook page that I'm very active on that is specific to um, healthcare professionals doing pelvic health work. So mostly physical therapists doing pelvic health specializations. And I had the opportunity through there to work with a life coach because she was um, getting her hours done and was able to offer me like services pro bono. And I thought, why not? I'm trying to transition out of working in a clinic and brand myself and, you know, things that a therapist couldn't really advise you on. And my life has like gone leaps and bounds ahead but with just I mean I kept her I thought I'm cheap so I was like oh I'm not gonna pay for this after I'll just see how far I can get and now I like can't live without her and I look back I mean like I went from like a job that I hated like working in a physical therapy clinic that was like very non-HIPAA compliant very unethical just like a lot of just awful awful stuff every day and um and I went from that to like st starting my own business for a while. And then that sort of blossomed into a nonprofit. And like, I just look back on where I was a year ago and, and it was just her giving me that confidence. And then also telling me using tactics of like, just how to tune into my body and like really, really figure out what I want and to like, trust, trust that. And it's been amazing. I'm, I'm so grateful. My life coach is uh, Dr. Julie Wallace, and she's a physical therapist, pelvic health specialist in Denver. So it does help. It's, it helps a lot, I think, to have a life coach who like something about what they do or their identity like overlaps with your yourself. That's so interesting that you found a life coach that does pelvic health stuff too. And yeah, when it comes to queer issues, for example, if Someone tells someone who's not queer that they went in some stranger's house and visited a glory hole, that whoever that wellness practitioner is, they're probably going to be so hung up on that, that they're going to be like, what? Like, are you being safe? Are you doing this? But for me as a gay guy, I know that is just another Saturday night, you know? So, I mean, when someone tells me these things that other people would be shocked at, to me, I'm just waiting for the next word because it's you know, it's the norm in my life as well. 
Right. And you don't have, you know, your clients don't have to spend this time like educating you. And I feel that way about healthcare too. I mean, that's why I'm more specializing in pelvic health and LGBT and sex positive stuff. Cause yeah, like at the same thing, if I treat a sex worker or a dominatrix, like she doesn't have to explain to me, she can just use natural business terminology. And I'm not going to like that uh, eyelash she or they or he, sorry. I think for um, LGBTQIA plus realms, this is super important. So I'm just, I'm loving your Instagram too, because I'm learning more. Like I can only know so much about gay men as a cis woman. So I'm learning more, but I do serve that population. So I'm getting a lot of information and about the lifestyle and culture and even though I've been around gay men most of my life, there's a lot of things I don't know because I'm not at those parties. Um, so yeah, I I wanted to ask, like, uh, what are some of the common challenges? So like, what are the most common challenges that you see in working with LGBTQIA plus people? And how do you address these? You know, when it comes to my clients, there's really a range of stuff. Because some come with like confidence as their main root issue. But I also have some clients who are super confident. And that's not why they came to me at all. They came to me because of other things such as maybe wanting a relationship or wanting to move forward. Like they just feel stuck. And even though they're confident, they feel like they have a lot to give. They don't feel shy around a bunch of gay guys they still just want to move forward in some way. And part of it too is during life coaching, sometimes we even figure out what they want. Some people come to me, they don't even know really what they want. And that's the beauty of coaching too, is it's like a coach on a sports field, which I didn't play sports, but that's exactly what they do. They give you the clarity, they help you figure things out and they keep your head in the game. So that's what I do with them. When it comes to the most common issues, I think some common things that get brought up are dating and the idea of like monogamy, um, being too relationship oriented and wondering like when you should, I guess, pop the question or say something like, so I'm interested in you as a date, not just a hookup or friends with benefit. And some other things too are like when it comes to drugs and alcohol. Uh, that seems to be a pretty common thing of like, sometimes people use the word addiction. Sometimes people just say they go overboard. Um, sometimes people say they rely on it. But that is a common topic as well. Okay, how would you advise someone? Yeah, so with each client, I don't really tell them what to do. I help them figure out what they think is the best course of action. And of course, usually I have an idea of what I want them to say. Probably half the time they say what I want them to say. But in the end, if I have a goal, if I have in mind that I want them to journal, but then they decide that they're going to check in with a friend once a day, I'm not going to tell them, no, I think you should journal. You know, in the end, they fulfilled the root cause or the root issue in their own way. But for example, if I were to automatically tell someone what they should do when it comes to drugs or alcohol, I talk about this on social media quite a bit because I think it's so important and I do it myself. Everything I talk about, I do myself. Um, 
So going out to bars or parties or anything, I would highly recommend that anyone do this at least once sober. I feel like so many people have never ever in their life, even if they're 40 or 50 or whatever age, so many people have never been to a bar completely sober the whole time. And I would highly recommend that because then you'll see like, oh, it's only a matter of a few minutes before that feeling of like, oh, I'm too sober for this fades away. Once you're in the zone, once you're in the atmosphere, it fades away. Another thing I would recommend is do that at least once in your life. And also, when you do go out anywhere, be be sober until you start having fun and then introduce the substances. So it's almost like that one, but a little step further into introducing it. If you're in the zone, you're dancing, you're chatting with people, you're already feeling drunk. Then when you have a drink, you're going to have more fun. You're not going to have the mentality of, I see a hot guy, I need a drink in me so I could go dance closer to him. If you're already in the zone of I'm I'm having fun, I'm dancing, then you add another drink, it will emphasize the fun, but it won't activate the fun. Once again, that's like the thing I really want people to remember is drugs and substances shouldn't activate your fun. They don't create your fun. They don't create your personality. They might just emphasize it. So if you are not having a good time, don't rely on things to make you have a good time. You need to start with a good time then add the other things. So that those are my go-tos. But some of my clients have thought of like other things on their own, like putting some kind of limit on drinking, um, lots of stuff, especially like when it comes to addiction, there's, there's lots of stuff people try and lots of stuff that is kind of like a known thing that it's just makes it harder. And for me too, you know, I'm addicted to sex, not sex, I'm addicted to porn, most specifically porn. And I've tried a lot of anti-addiction stuff as well. Like maybe if I just peek at it for a minute, it'll be fine. It'll test it. And it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And like what substances do you see? We talked a little bit outside the podcast about like poppers and some of the other substances that I'm not as familiar with myself. I I know more about psychedelics and alcohol. (laughs) Um, And I don't, I don't use alcohol for, for the reasons you're speaking of. And a lot of people I know who have quit drinking, which seems to be trending now, which I think is great. It's one of the most amazing things you realize is like, wow, I went out to a club or to a art opening. And like, I had a good time the whole time without any alcohol and it's it is a lot of time at times it is just getting over that initial anxiety of just like getting into the space like where am I going to stand who am I going to talk to is anyone going to talk to me and then once that you're over that hump you often will realize like you don't even need that drink yeah back to the initial question was about just some of the other substances you mentioned that I, I honestly don't know as much about well the most common one is of course alcohol which you know I think that is more dangerous than people think When it comes to other things, like people don't really do psychedelics or other stuff like on the daily or when they go out. I mean, some people, yeah, psychedelics aren't really like very addictive, but of course anything could be, even weed. That's like a myth that weed can't be addictive. I know many people that have gone to NA for marijuana. 
But poppers, I mean, that's a very interesting one that I feel like a lot of people haven't heard of. It's like this inhalant, you sniff it, it's in this bottle. And apparently, I think it like dilates your blood vessels. So it makes your sense of touch uh, more sensitive. And it only lasts for like a minute, a minute or two. Makes you feel really warm, dilates your blood vessels. And, you know, for the ravers out there or for the people who have rolled before on like Molly or something, it's a, a super, super, super mini version of that where you just want to touch and hug people. So I like to do it on a dance floor because it makes you for a minute or two feel nice and warm and more dancey and a little more, I guess, like silly. But lots of people like to do it in the bedroom because it relaxes your muscles, dilates your blood vessels, makes it easier for you to be a receptive partner, which means it makes it easier for you to bottom. Um, especially if you're too tight at the start, it loosens it. And once again, that heightened sense of touch, if you're already kissing and touching someone, taking a sniff of the poppers, it makes it more intense. But one thing too is a lot of people who have gotten into it like in the bedroom they've kind of become dependent on it so i've met quite a few guys who can't climax without poppers and one of the big reasons i'm trying to not watch porn is because i just always think of like when i was going through puberty how easy it was for me to get turned on how easy it was for me to do all that stuff and if someone is like struggling with getting themselves off, even with just their hand, to me, I'm like, unless that happened to you when you were a teenager, something needs to change. Something needs to change, whether it's mental damage or physical damage, there's some type of damage that can be reversed. Yeah, you can definitely like build new neuropaths, I should should say. That's interesting. Okay, I wasn't going to say this, but I will. The poppers, like the, my only experience with poppers is when I used to be a dominatrix at a BDSM castle in in Finland. <laughs> and I learned I learned um, a lot from, I was trained by Finnish dominatrixes there, which was really interesting. And I had this one client and he didn't speak English. So another dom would translate for me and we'd, we'd he liked to work with two women at a time sometimes and his he just like loved to be fisted like loved it so i remember her like teaching me how to fist a guy and like translating and it was just such a surreal experience like learning how to fist through translation and fisting some like having someone respond to that and like tell the other dom to tell me things but he was really, really into poppers. And like, that was, we would just meet up with him and he would do lots of pops, poppers and we just fist him. And yeah, so that was my, so when you said that it makes you more receptive and your muscles relax more, I'm like, oh, that explains it. That's such a funny story too. Like, oh my gosh, I would also, I mean, if it ever comes up, I'd be so interested in hearing more about like your journey with drinking less alcohol or not drinking at all. But if we get to that, so be it. If not, so be it. Yeah. Well. I mean, for me, I mean, in a nutshell, what finally got me to stop, stop drinking, because I would, I, my, my issue with alcohol is that once it's in me, I just go, go, go. I'm one of those people who will just be like the last person home from the party or like, 
I'll say I'm going to have a couple drinks. And then the next thing I know, like on my way home, I'm like buying a whole bottle of wine. For me, what happens is it triggers an anxiety cycle. So what happens is the next day I feel really anxious. Like that's my version of a hangover is I feel really anxious and I can't relax. And then I end up drinking again. So I just get caught in this loop with the alcohol. I can't moderate. I've, I've tried that and it always goes back to the same cycle, but I'm also a really high functioning drunk and I'm a really sweet drunk. And so it, I got away with it for a really, really long time. Cause like it didn't cause any like major I mean I shouldn't say that I'm sure it did cause relationship problems but like I'm never I didn't get in like fights I'm not an asshole I'm not aggressive and it's it can be even like hard to tell that I'm drunk because maybe partly because I'm already kind of goofy and also already pretty open and already like if anything I need to work on my boundaries better as a sober person so like when I'm drunk I think people are just like that's just L but I also um the issue for me too was that it does make the next day in that anxiety space, I get really irritable and then my, and my focus gets bad and I already have ADHD. So I have to work really hard to stay focused. And it was just amplifying everything that is already challenging for me. So I just stopped altogether. Um, there was something else I was going to say about that. So the big, what was the big shift for me was meditation. Like that's, that's when I like was done, done with alcohol was when I started a daily meditation practice and, um, I had meditated off and on, but like not been disciplined with it. And so I knew that the only way I would really build you have, cause you have to continue with it to really see the benefits and feel the shift. So I took a mindfulness meditation, like teacher certification course with Dharma Moon with David Nickturn. And I got a scholarship, but I still had to invest something in it. And so it was like, that forced me to meditate every day because it was my homework. I just felt this shift. Like I've never been the same person since then. I I really don't desire alcohol. And that's kind of always, for me, it's always been that way. Like if, if it's not in my system, I don't want it. But once it's in my system, I get trapped in a loop. But Whenever I've quit in the past, like off and on, it it would take about, it takes about like two weeks before I'm like, okay, I'm really like not thinking about this at all. And then usually the next drink is just, it'll be like, well, maybe I'll just have one to see what happens. And then it just turns into the loop. But now I'm like, I don't even want to have one to see what happens anymore. So I'm, 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 it's been really great. So I do, I do use cannabis in the evenings sometimes, and I'm exploring how that can help me like tune into creativity. And also as someone who has ADHD, it really helps me to slow down and like tune into my body. And so I actually sometimes use that to uh, connect with nature. And also I've been using it for doing sex magic and tuning into my body that way. So Yeah, when you were talking about issues with pornography and like just having an addiction to like poppers and stuff, it was making me think about like, just I'm developing some courses around like sex magic and like self intimacy. Maybe I I should show you what I'm teaching might be useful. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, it'd be interesting, especially seeing like, 
you know, what would cater to certain groups of people. And especially, for example, with, you know, lots of men, it's usually, actually, it's not, I mean, you would imagine it's pretty easy for them to finish or come. But, you know, the older we get, the more it seems like even men are becoming more and more dependent on things. So yeah, I mean, that's very interesting seeing I'd be very interested in seeing like the courses you're making. And I'm sure it will help a lot of people. I think I'm going to be doing one at a BDSM space soon. I'll be honest, like I'm I, I was that way too. until until I started practicing sex magic, like I would I, I get off really, really, really fast and really easily, like no problem. And then I was listening to, I mean, I can, I can actually climax without any physical contact. Like wow. if I watch the right kind of porn or if yeah. I'm giving performing oral on someone. So um, it's that easy for me. So like, I actually, I am kind of masculine in that way, I suppose, like, and or, or stereotypically. So like what I, I listened to a podcast with this sex, witch. Gabrielle, I think it's Gabriella Herstick. It was Duncan Trestle, Trestle's podcast. And he asked her what kind of porn she watches. And she was like, I don't watch porn. She's like, I wouldn't waste my energy on that. She's like, I use my energy. I, I save that to manifest in my life, you know? And I, and that really struck me. And I was like, oh man, what if I like slowed down and like tapped into this energy, like prolonged it and like really felt it in my body. And that's been life-changing that's something i also like have adopted the mentality of i actually haven't watched porn or hooked up or jacked off for over 60 days at this point this is the longest i've ever gone and i've been trying this for two and a half years and i do very similar to how you mentioned with alcohol of like the first two weeks you think about it and then after that you're done it's very similar with me and porn like the first week and a half usually I'm so fixated on trying not to watch it but then after that I just naturally I'm focused on so many other things in my life and I mean just like you mentioned with that sex switch it is I do feel that feeling of when I don't put my energy into that I put it so much more into other things my friends my fitness my health my business like there's so many other useful avenue avenues to use that energy. I've actually heard the term sexual transmutation. Ooh, That's a very witchy term. It's when you use sexual energy in other ways. So you transmute that sexual energy into other energies, such as exercise, social energy, business, all the things I just mentioned. It is transmuting or changing you know, that's a very alchemy term, transmutation. I used to watch it on Full Metal Alchemist, this one anime. But when you transmute or change that sexual energy into other energies, it's so true. We, yeah. especially gay men, you know, we spend so much time. It's part of our culture to watch porn and to know the porn stars and to be like, did you see that one video? But if we, and I, I am proud to have seen a lot, so I could have those conversations i am happy about that that is a way i have to acknowledge that like porn has helped me is it does help me feel like it's another way to connect with the gays but at this point i've seen all the iconic videos 
there's not like a new iconic video in the world so all the ones that the gays talk about and they post in memes and stuff i've seen it so i could talk about it i didn't realize that gay men talked about what like specific actors and i don't i haven't thought about that i mean it's not like a day-to-day conversation but it is something i've had the conversation of like many many times like more than 10 times or people will say like what kind of porn do you watch just like how someone asked the sex switch that like they'll say what kind of porn do you watch then they're like oh this and they're like oh do you know that guy that's my favorite one they're like did you see this video yeah i did oh my god i came to that like 15 times like uh-huh <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know if everyone does but at least i'm very very open just like you are so i do talk about these things with people even if it's the first time i met this person at a rana bar i to me i'm like why not you know yeah but your energy does go into it i mean like i want i probably watch like i guess the porn i watch just like dudes jerking off like that's all i want to see it's so basic but like i just like to see men losing their shit and climaxing and i like yeah you know what it's called right no i didn't know that what is oh gooning is when they're like doing it for a long time Uh and they keep going and going and going usually if someone is like sniffing poppers too they call it like gooning when they're kind of like their eyes are rolling back all that stuff i shouldn't know that yeah for me gonna go want to look for more porn oh my god (laughs) well i mean if it's not as much of a problem for you for me thankfully like you know, I, I can thankfully have these conversations and not be like triggered in any way. Um, But for me, I mean, the ones that I really like are like 3D animated porn, like the ones that have like sexy video game characters. And like their cum shots are super big. And if I am watching porn with like real people, like, they have to, there has to be an internal cum shot, whether it's down someone's throat or in someone's ass, like, when they pull out and it's labeled cream pie, it makes me so angry. Wow. Like, I hate that. I hate it. It ruins it. Even if the guys are so hot, I I, I do fast forward to that part because I have to see, like, are they going to inject it in there or are they going to pull out? Like, Yeah, I fast forward to make sure that they're not going to be quiet about it. Oh, that's so funny. I think it's because when I was growing up, we didn't have Cinemax or whatever, but like my TV, I'm just picturing this big boxy TV I had in my room. It was so huge. But we would get, you know, when you get a channel, but it's like fuzzy, like, but you can hear the audio. Oh, yeah. That was for, I don't know what channel it was, like one of the sex channels. So I could just get the audio. So I would listen to people having sex and masturbate to that. And that's, so I think that conditioned me to be very audio sensitive. So it's funny how, but then, so back to like, you can, I don't know. It's been really interesting to see what it feels like to climax while I'm like, visualizing myself like belly dancing or like or really strong or like you know I I visualize like I manifest things that I want to be or things I want to come into my life and so it's like it's really interesting to climax to things that aren't wouldn't be considered erotic at all and like putting your energy into it yeah I actually was reading this one random article online that said like people's reactions to like pornographic material and it considered pornographic material as things that after they climax they're not interested in anymore 
So I think it said some examples of like some guy would like climax to like wood being cut or something. And then after he came to it, he didn't care to watch the videos anymore. So it was just such an interesting way to like operationalize that definition. But yeah, another thing you mentioned too is visualizing belly dancing, especially of yourself. There's this other life coach I really like. His name is Carlos de la Playa. He he mentions like mirror work. And I mean, that's something, you know, one time I used to have long hair when I was younger. And one time they cut it really short. And then I just looked in the mirror and I felt like I looked so different. Like I felt like I looked like a whole different person. So then I ended up jacking off in the mirror. And admittedly, like that completely changed my perspective of like myself like it totally made me think like oh wow like if I could do that like then when other people are complimenting me they're not they're not saying it just to be nice and I don't need to disregard their compliments because I'm sure some people do that they think like oh even though these people compliment me they don't mean it whatever but after I did that I really felt that mind-blown situation like I was like wow I just had like a revelation um and it's not like something I do commonly, but that's another really out there thing that I think if everyone does it at least once, it will it will truly change your perspective of yourself in a good way. I feel like it's like a version of a positive affirmation, like looking in the mirror and saying, I love you and you're beautiful and you deserve good things. Like, you know, the other Louise Hay type stuff that I still love. Yeah. And there's there just happens to be a mirror next to my bed. Yeah, since I've been doing sex magic and slowing down and I'm not staring into the computer screen, I was like, oh, how does that feel? Like, I'll like look over at myself in the mirror. So I have done that a couple of times just organically because the mirror was there. And, but I'm also like really tuned into my body. Yeah, almost like as a positive affirmation to just be like, you deserve pleasure. You deserve love. You deserve affection. You deserve your body deserves this attention. And to just like as a tool to like almost go deeper with like self-connection. So that makes sense. I love that story about cutting off your hair and then look, and then you were just like, hey. <laughs> That's so yeah, it was very interesting. Like there are sometimes I looked in the mirror and thought like, oh, I look good today. But that day when my hair was different and I looked totally different, there was sexual attraction. That's rad. <laughs> And then can you talk, we touched on celibacy and I've seen like some of your Instagram posts about it. Can you like talk a little bit more about that? Like how you started that and like, how is that practice for you? Is it, is it something you're trying to go for like permanently or long-term or is it something you're doing, you know, like we do detoxes, like, you know, I'm going to do a detox for six months. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like after posting about it online, like the different questions I've been getting like, for example, someone says, like, are you, would you do this even if you were in a relationship, um, blah, blah, blah. So I guess I'll answer all these questions as I go through the full journey, just like in the order that you asked it. Yeah. And feel free to answer questions that were on the posts. Yeah, they, they'll yeah. come up naturally. But yeah. two and a half years ago, it was November 2020. And no, not November. You know, it's like a joke. No, not November. But I, I took it seriously. And I found out about all this from NoFap, which, you know, that's something a lot of 
straight guys, especially the term incels, look into. Incel means involuntary celibate. So it's usually a guy that wants to hook up, but no one wants to hook up with him. And often incels kind of blame society and the world for their problems. So they don't blame themselves or their demeanor or anything. They just say like, these Beckys, these women out there are only going for chads, they're alphas, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a very non-accountability type of thing. But anyway, so I'm gay. And so I don't, it's easy for me to hook up. Like I could go on an app and just find anyone. And gays who say they can't hook up with anyone, it's like, you. if you wanted to hook up with anyone, you could. You could go on some app and find someone. But if you have standards, then yes, you can't hook up with anyone. But that's one thing. Whenever gays say they could never find anyone to hook up with and blah, 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 I'm like, you can. If if you really all you want is a replacement for your hand, yes. But if you care about age, if you care about body, if you care about this, then yes, you're you're placing that limit on yourself. So no sense in complaining, saying no one wants to hook up with you because there are plenty of men out there who would happily do it. So two and a half years ago, I was looking into NoFap and like, if, if I always say like, if I was straight, I would probably be an incel because I am like a, a pretty skinny guy. I'm 5'8". I don't have like very masculine traits, you know, and that's kind of typical straight incel, but thankfully I'm gay. So I'm not pressed on making my identity based on who I could take to the bedroom and how many people I could add to my little black book. But I think you're cute. And if you were straight, I would go for you. So I, just <laughs> I mean, it's funny you say that, like the older I get, the more I'm hearing some girls saying that, which, you know, it's usually like alternative girls too, who say that. But yeah, who, who knows? I mean, when I was younger, I was like, my friends were very seen, you know, like MySpace days seen. I was sometimes kind of that, like one time I let them straighten my hair, but anyway, thank you. <laughs> so two and a half years ago, I was taking that seriously and I went 27 days of like no porn, no jacking off. And it was really tough. It was, it was very, it took up a lot of my mental space. I was constantly thinking about trying to not think about it. And since then, two and a half years ago, I've been going on some good streaks here and there, like a month, maybe a week. And what led me to wanting to do this all was actually out of insecurity. I wanted to like work on my sexual prowess. So I'm very confident in a lot of ways. But one way that I used to not feel confident about is like how good of a sexual partner I am. So the first time I lost my virginity, it was in a relationship. And of course, I felt great in that. And my partner did too. We were both virgins. But then after that, you know, when I hook up with people, I'm very talkative. And I, I don't know, I, I just, I do a lot of things that I feel like they don't do in porn, you know, and I just felt silly. I felt like a loser. I felt weird. Um, and also, I do prefer to talk. So especially me being, you know, a skinny 5'8 guy, that was something that people usually I don't think would think that about me. And I was very insecure about it, too. Now I'm not insecure about it. Like, I do have my preference. And I think most people would probably think I'm a bottom. But 
fast forward, now that I've just been like taking more care of myself, especially working out has actually helped me a lot. Because I can't change my height, but just being more, slightly more beefy, I'm still pretty lean, but it makes me feel like when someone says like, Oh, you're a total bottom, I just, to me, I'm like, okay, you know, I don't really feel the need to be like, well, actually, I my preference, is, you know, when before I would have felt that way, I would have been like, I need to defend myself, I need to like, prove that I don't fit the norm. But yeah, so then I wanted to work on being harder, I wanted to work on being more vigorous, sexually, I wanted to work on being more like intense, like seeing that primal look in my eyes that I used to have, you know, especially when I was in a relationship, and I was totally comfortable, and I wasn't trying to prove anything. So no fap and no jacking off and no porn, it has really helped that. And I have over these two and a half years, and even before, I have hooked up many, many times. And I am getting more and more back to that primal energy. You know, that's, I guess, the best way. That's a very kink term as well, which I'm sure you've heard before. But I do like that feeling, that feeling that I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. I like that. And me having all this time, even when I fail a 30-day streak, it's not like I lost 30 days of progress. You know, I set myself back a little bit, but no matter what, like, my sexual energy is still revving up, you know, it's still raring to go. And yeah, I mean, it started with insecurity, it started with me wanting to be a better sexual partner. But then over time, when I was trying to not think about porn, I realized I had to replace that habit that I would spend eight or even 12 hours a day sometimes on, I had to replace it with other things. So then I started working out, started doing Korean facial exercises started doing Kegels, started cleaning my room, started a business. I went to school again. I, I just started adding so many things in my life because there was everything else was being sucked into the void of porn. And when you have eight to 12 more hours on average each day, you got a lot more time to do useful things. Um, and the more useful things you do, the more confident you feel. And the more confident you feel, the less you feel the need to defend or justify yourself. The more you just be and you understand that not everyone is going to take you for what you are. So who cares what they think? You know, I'm not trying to impress the world. I'm just trying to impress my people. Wow. I love that. And you spoke about feeling like you weren't doing what they were doing in the porn because because you're talkative and whatever. But like, is that something you see a lot is like people compare I don't know maybe because I, I grew up like that porn wasn't so accessible for me growing like it, it got much more accessible after I had been active or whatever and so like it's not as I'm I'm 44 now so it's not as like embedded in me like I, I figured out sex without porn mostly and I don't think that's so true these days. Like everybody's seeing a lot more porn, like way before they have sex or as they're developing sexually. That's for me there. It's very clear. And I, I suppose too, because I worked in the adult industry um, to be fair. So I, I, it's very clear what's real and what's not, but like, do you find a lot of gay men are comparing themselves to porn or like, 
when they're hooking up, are they like actually acting like they're in a porn at, d during the hookup? And then maybe like not t talking about you to you about like not really wanting to do that or, or I mean, I'm just really curious about all of that. Yeah, it's totally a thing. Like when I've hooked up and I've been around my friends or other people hooking up too, like, you know, cause it's a very open thing, but a lot of guys do feel the need to act a certain way. Like they, some guys literally act like there's a camera on them. They're like flexing and they're like looking in the corner. And it's very strange to me. Or they'll be like moaning and doing lots of stuff that I can't help but at. Sometimes it's very true and you could tell, but I can't help but think other times it's very forced. And it's like, okay, there's not a camera on you. And like, you don't need to moan to make me feel good or whatever. Like, unless you're naturally feeling that, like if you're really taken away, so be it. But yeah, or maybe they'll, there's, like I said, um, especially since I might not look like very much a top, this is actually a pretty common thing that has happened to me where some guys will start to try to be very like dominant with me. And honestly, each time that has happened, it has been very forced. Like, there are some times where like orally, I'll be submissive to someone or whatever. But there are some times when a guy will say he wants to cuddle. Then he comes over and he tries to be like flipping me over. And to me, cuddle, cuddle is like a very fuckboy term that you're like not willing to say what you want. So if someone says me cuddle, I'll assume they mean oral, but a few guys, they'll say cuddle, then they'll try to be very like, you know, penetrative. And to me, I'm, I'm just like a wall. Like I'm not really, that's not what I was coming for. And that's not what I care about. And usually when they're trying to do that, they're just like putting on this deep voice or they're being super aggressive and they're being like, yeah, you like that? Yeah. You want daddy's milk or but they're just saying they never said you want daddy's milk, but they'll say like things that I feel like are like tropes that I've heard in porn. Once again, there are sometimes people do things like that that seem excessive, but it does seem natural. Like you could just tell that this person is like a very sexual person. But a lot of the time, I do feel like some guys are really, really trying. They're really trying to fit into what they think they should act like. And it's, it's not, it's not a big turn on. I'd rather someone be like silly and quirky and goofy in the bedroom, than try to be something they're not. And if they are an aggressive dom top, great, act like it, you know, but I'm just saying most people a very small percent of the population are actual dom tops. Yeah, that's cringy. But but if if I felt like somebody yeah. was like tapping into like scripts or something, because to me the most erotic thing ever is somebody just kind of losing control and like being just out of their head, and that's kind of the opposite of that. If they're like referencing, I, I mean, maybe not like directly being like I'm going to say this from this porn, but they're still they're pulling from another source that's not authentic to that they're internal experience which to me is like a huge turnoff do you have any tools to like get out of that habit or well you know if someone is really into that 
or really stuck in that rut, I guess, I would definitely recommend trying to minimize how much porn they watch because the more they detach themselves from that mold, the more they could be who they really are. And I would also recommend, you know, having fun times with people they feel comfortable with. People that aren't just like a one-time thing and they feel they need to prove themselves, but people that they could feel that they could be their authentic self with. And they're not worried about trying to prove a point because then they would be more willing to do something that might be silly or might be nerdy or might be whatever, you know, because yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll just feel better. So those are the two things I think watching less porn and also hooking up with people that they feel more comfortable with. And then they could be more open to being like, Oh, actually being myself is the hottest way to be in the bedroom. And I want to know, like when you said eight to 12 hours a day, that, that was a high number for me. I'm just from a physical therapy perspective, I had a patient and during the pandemic ended up in a financial crisis, like so many people did. So he started doing OnlyFans. And so he was telling, he was, you know, he was a cis hetero guy. It was great because he was so nervous to tell me what he was doing. And I was like, oh, like I grew up in the Valley. You can tell, like, <laughs> I didn't tell him I w was in the industry because it wasn't appropriate in a clinical setting, but like, I let him know I was very familiar with it. And it wasn't shocking to me or whatever, but he was having like pelvic floor and like hip issues because he was doing long, prolonged, like jerk off videos. And I, so actually what I worked with him on was like his ergonomic setup. Cause his, I was like, so how is your camera? How are you sitting? Like, what kind of chair are you using? Could we make some adjustments? And like, um, it was really fun. I, I just wonder, have you, did you find any, we talked about like psychological issues and like it taking away from you know, all these other amazing things you could be doing with your time. But what about physiologically? Did that cause any problems? Uh, well, for me, when I do, when I used to, I'll use that word, when I used to watch porn, is I wouldn't be jacking off the whole time because, you know, it is pretty easy for me to come. So usually I would spend hours upon hours searching for videos and continuing to find ones and maybe I would be hard the whole time but I wouldn't be touching myself um and it wasn't until I found the one that I was like okay now I'm gonna do it so I didn't really feel like physical issues like you mentioned but I think it's because for me the porn binges there wasn't too like a very very small percentage of that time was me actually doing the act of jacking off it was a lot more of a mental thing you know i used to play video games for like eight hours a day and then i quit that to knit and then eventually i kind of naturally stopped knitting as much uh, i still have all the stuff but then i kind of ended up barreling towards porn Thankfully now, you know, my business is the new thing, but I realized that I like doing things with my hands, video games, knitting, searching videos, clicking videos. It's not like I watch these videos for even 10 minutes. Usually I'll watch it for like a minute or two. Then I'll be like, next one. 
search, type in a term, press next. And then now my business too, it's online. So most of what I'm doing is typing, searching, scrolling. So um, yeah, I think that's what I liked most about the porn is it's such a time sucker. I, I watch it a lot as a time sucker. And when I was stressed, not because I was horny. So that physical activity too, it kept me engaged. Every few minutes I could get out of my head and get into my fingers, then get back into my head, then back into my fingers. And Yeah, and it's, esca- it's an escape for sure. A lot of people I know, including myself, that have had drinking problems, like everybody's addicted to sparkling water now. Oh yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> One of my friends, she, you know, she doesn't really identify with addiction. Addiction does run in her family. But she's like, yeah, I love sparkling water. And I heard that a lot of alcoholics like sparkling water, but I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I was just like, I'm glad you like sparkling water. Yeah, that's it. Just leave it there. I mean, for me, it's like probably relates to my ADD. It's really hard for me to sit still. So it's like the activity of like having something to sip on, but it it gives me with my anxiety, if I'm feeling awkward, it gives me something to do. And then I like the tingle in my mouth. So it's like, I also love like, um, those crazy like ginger shots and like spicy, like, you know, cayenne pepper shots, or I like, I drink vinegar water sometimes because it's good for you. And like, I like that kick. Like I even like the way, like doing shots at Echinacea, like I'm just like, yeah, like I like. Yeah. And so um, I'm like, oh, there, there's healthy ways I can get that like same little bit of a sensation, the sensation I would get from like a whiskey shot, like where I get a little bit of a burn and like a sharp feeling in my mouth. But um, yeah, that's just one way I've seen a lot of the, the problem with sparkling water from just pelvic health tip here is that it um it um irritates the lining of your bladder as does alcohol and coffee and chocolate like all the good things it irritates the lining of your bladder so it makes you have to urinate more frequently so i don't know if you know any sparkling water addicts like a lot of us like have to we have to pee a lot we're always going pee so and i also have a theory that our bodies don't this is a so that's medically proven, but then my theory is also that the water moves through us more quickly because it's making us pee so often. So you actually don't get the same quality of hydration. Yeah. That's a side tip. I, I don't really drink sparkling water or coffee and I I rarely drink alcohol. I'm not sober, but I I rarely drink it. But chocolate, I don't have that much, but usually each day I have one little square of dark chocolate. It's like my pre-workout. Yeah, if you're not having continence issues, it's fine. And I think chocolate is the least irritable of those. Yeah, and I don't have, I actually do Kegels, so. I mean, you should really come to the class I'm I'm trying to set up. I can use feedback on it too. Whenever it is, I would be happy with that. I mean, I love kink spaces. I'm actually going to like a goth bar on Saturday for the first time. Oh my God, what bar? Bar Sinister. Oh my God, I used to go-go dance there in my Oh wow. (laughs) My friend who is a photographer, she took my beautiful photography pictures. She is taking me. I'm very excited. You know, I do feel like I'm goth at heart, even though, well, yeah, you don't have to be depressed to be goth. I feel like at heart I'm goth because I always talk about like dark stuff or taboo or morbid things. It's kind of funny, this random girl just at the bar one day a random bar 
I just went up to her. She was wearing super Lolita goth stuff. I went up to her and her friend who's dressed kind of Billie Eilish goth. I was like, I'm goth. And then usually I expect the response of like, are you or really? But this girl was like, no, you're not. Like she was offended. And then I was like, yeah, I am. And then thankfully, you know, it was my New Year's resolution. So I started listening to like Sisters of Mercy, Susie and the Banshees, Bauhaus, because I know music is like the number one. I tried listening to more groups. I love Depeche Mode too. I've always loved Depeche Mode. I tried listening to other groups, but those are the only ones I really was drawn to. Um, there were some other ones too, like was it dead can dance but those are the four that i really like wow anyway so your new year's resolution was to be goth yeah so i ordered a bunch of rings from amazon that's why i wear like 15 black rings at once even though i don't wear like full-on black i mean i do often wear black like my earrings or often if i'm doing like a life coaching thing i'll wear like black floral stuff which to me is like romantic goth you know but anyway the score was like no you're not how many bands she listened to? I was like, this, this, and this. She's like, you need to listen to at least 40. She's like, I know 10 club owners. I was like, okay, does that make you goth? Not at all. Because you can be goth in a town that has no clubs. <laughs> That's a privileged goth perspective, I would say. Yeah. So, and <laughs> so. I ha like, I can't not be goth. Like, it's so funny because I, I was super goth in high school and I used to go to like, I was privileged goth and that I was adjacent. I was technically in Los Angeles County. So we, and it was very, very easy to sneak out of the houses I lived in. Um, I think this one was, yeah, I'm thinking of the house. I had even before, so before I even had a license, I had friends that had licenses and they would, I would sneak out and they would pick me up and we'd, we'd go to the goth clubs until like 2 a.m. And then I, sneak back in and go to school the next day but the yeah, main ones wow. were uh we went to helter skelter which was like the gothest goth club um i think my card for there is from like 1995 and then they, that one closed and then there was cinematic and stigmata um i know i'm forgetting one but yeah and, so, and that merged with like industrial music too so it was at the, the goth and industrial clubs and that was also the first place i saw anything kinky i think it was at cinematic they had like a back room and i was like 15. i just remember like i just gotten my boobs <laughs> they came really really late i was like 15. and so i like really pushed them up and like talked my way in the first time and then got my club card and then you just had to show your club card so that was like how you could get it in when you're under 18. Anyway, Cinematic had like a back room and I just like kind of wandered in there and there was a trans woman who was like massaging someone's feet and she was, and there, there was just all this kinky stuff happening there. But like, that was the first thing I saw was her on a sofa and like massaging this woman's feet. She was like, would you like a foot rub? And I was like, maybe later. And like, <laughs> I was 15 and I was like, I was really interested in what was happening. And I don't know if that person identified as trans or as a cross-dresser, you know, there's so many terms, um, especially back then. So it's like, you know, and at, working as a dominatrix, I have, I've had clients that identify as so many different ways. Like I have client, I, I have a friend in Finland who dresses as a woman, but 
wants to identify as ma male and all, there's so many variations. So I'm always careful, like, I don't know that, but anyways, she, yeah. So I was like, just went back out on the dance floor, but like, that was my first exposure. And I was just like, I need to process that before I decide if I want to like do that. But it did look kind of fun. Um, yeah. And I love a foot rub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a nice offer. But yeah. And then now I'm like, you know, you get older. I have other goth friends that are like this. And it's like, I try not to be goth, but then I just see it everywhere. Like, you yeah. know, I think I was telling you, I, I didn't, I didn't realize how much black fur I wore all the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then someone's like, you look like your cats. And I was like, I looked in my closet and there was just full of like black fur stuff. And I was like, oh my God, it's everywhere. So it's like, I'm, have some Cruella DeVille type goth thing going on that I can't shake. Yeah. And your hair, you know, you're black with blue roots. Like, I mean, that's goth. Yeah. I can't not <laughs> have black in my hair. It feels weird. And then you're into, do you want to talk about like furry stuff? I guess just kind of quickly, like I don't do it sexually. I just do it uh, to dress up and I like the look of it and I do feel like a real life cartoon character like when I'm wearing it but yeah I wear like black wolf ears and just black furry cuffs sometimes like a black fur coat um, and I also have black furry cuffs for like around my ankles too but yeah I mean that's once again it's it's not something I've done like in a bedroom and I don't really think to do it in a bedroom but I do think it's hot when like there's a guy who's very clearly a guy, but then he's wearing like ears, you know, like to me, I, I just think that is like hot. I guess it comes once again from like video games I used to play. Like there was one named Sly Cooper. He was this raccoon and he was a hot raccoon, you know, like he was like an anthropomorphic raccoon. So it's not like he like, he was shaped like a person, you know, but he had a raccoon face and the paws. Um, but yeah, I feel like that might be where it started. I actually talked with someone the other day about that. And he was like, oh my God, Sly Cooper, that was it for me too. I have a friend who, he likes mice, cartoon mice. And we were talking oh. about all the mice we had crushes on. Like oh, the, wow. The mom in Secret of Nim, and I'm, I'm blanking on some of the other ones. But I would get crushes on like female cartoon characters, like Brittany from Alvin and the Chipmunks. And I thought that I liked the mom from Secret of Nim, and I like that actually came up. And I found my my friend's wife was like, "Oh, you're talking about the mice cartoons again?" <laughs> like I guess he has like a few that he likes. And then I had like my first real crush was Tramp from Lady and the Tramp. Oh wow! Because he was a bad boy. Yeah. And I was so into him, and like I actually ended up like dating dudes like that later. Oh my I god! Like, <laughs> like I kind of. When I'm back in therapy, I might need to reflect on that. But I ended up dating a lot of like, <laughs> I dated a lot of scummy, like, you know, crusty punk dudes that were living outside societal norms and <laughs> just like not conforming in any way and dragging me in out, outside of the suburbs into wild situations and showing me the real world. Like it's, it's, I sort of actually reenacted that. So anyways. Are there any resources that you recommend that relate to pornography, addiction, or substance, but 
specifically that you find are like LGBTQIA plus friendly? Because I think having that inclusivity in these spaces is really important. Yeah, I think going to the LGBT center for any location, you know, that's a great place to not only work there, but they could connect people as well. I think looking online for addiction, any type of sex and porn addiction, substance addiction, alcohol addiction, there are usually, for example, my sex and porn addicts group, there's specific meeting times for LGBT members. So those are the ones I go to. And I mean, social media, some people go on there and kind of just mindlessly scroll. But there are plenty of good pages out there. Like there are other queer life coaches like Carlos de de la playa who i really enjoy my page not only for what i post but i think looking at the comments it's very interesting and eye-opening and tell everyone your page name again yeah so my name is kevin kassir last name k-a-s-i-r and all of my stuff my instagram kevin kassir instagram is what i post on the most my website kevinkassir.com and yeah i mean so if anyone searches Kevin Kassir, K-A-S-I-R, then they'll be able to see all that stuff. And once again, I think really like the whole community aspect is good because yes, the things I post, I mean, it's some info, but reading the comments, you're able to see a variety of perspectives. And I think that is actually a very useful part of my page that people might not think of at first read the comments and comment too. Yeah. And I'd also recommend your page to anyone who's offering services, especially healthcare or social work or whatever. Um, like, but anyone who's trying to be more inclusive in their services and have more insight, like I said earlier, I found it really helpful because, you know, I, I say this all the time, but it's not your patient or your client's responsibility to like educate you. So I think it's also a good resource to people who just want to be a little more open-minded and learn how to better serve with inclusivity in mind. And then just one more thing, do you take private clients with your coaching? Do you have openings or how, how would someone reach you for that? Yeah, so to work with me, they could message me through Instagram. That's the most common way. They're welcome to email me as well. Uh, They could check out my website for more details too. But I do offer a one-on-one three-month coaching program. So we would meet once a week for 12 weeks. And we would, you know, work on goals and how to create goals, how to move forward. And it's general life coaching. So some people we talk about habits, some people we talk about addiction, some people we talk about internalized shame. But really each week we tackle a new thing and we add more on there. And, you know, my clients who have completed the whole thing really enjoy it. My clients who are going through it really enjoy it. And of course, I wouldn't offer it if I don't feel confident in what it delivers. So it's, it's very, in the end, it's really the client leading themselves, but I'm just helping them. So it's, it's not me telling someone what to do, but it's me helping people figure out. And it's also helping them see another perspective. And if someone is totally lost, I could help them too. But really, I don't think we're all totally lost. I think we have ideas of what we want, 
when we just have other ideas that are straying us from our true path. Yes, I love that. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure I'm going to see you again. Yes, thank you. I can't wait to go to your course in person. Yes, I'll, I'll have you as a guest. And I'd be happy to attend. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for another fabulous episode for the books, Kevin. I'm so glad I was able to share this with everybody. It's moving along. I'm learning how to podcast as I go. So I'm glad you're all still listening. And since you are, please take a minute to show some support by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this podcast. It really helps us get the word out. And definitely check out Kevin's Instagram and his information's all in the show notes. His Instagram is so fun and it just makes me really happy every time I see it. You do not have to be a gay man to get some really great advice from Kevin. Also in the show notes, you will see the links to Pelvic Sanctuary. Again, we give pelvic health education that supports LGBTQIA plus folks who are so underserved in healthcare, but specifically in um, issues related to pelvic health. And we are in our first year and could really use a lot of support with all the startup expenses and programs. It's all coming out of my pocket, though I am going to the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce Conference next month, which I'm super excited about. And hopefully we'll get some support and sponsorships through that. But Anyways, every dollar really does help us get these programs going faster and um, create more visibility. And a big purpose of this podcast is to just throw in these plugs and get your attention about the work we're doing. I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Q in a couple weeks, and um, he's going to tell you more about what pelvic, pelvic sanctuary is doing and why it's so important. Next week, we are going to be talking to Nastia Valentine, author of Cyber Horny. So definitely not one to miss, especially if you want to get inside the mind of a cam girl and some of my past experiences as a sex worker as well. So tune in next week, subscribe so you don't miss it and have a great day.